Joe, uh, lovely to see you. It's it's um, it's been quite a few years. It has, Jeff, and it's lovely to see you too. Oh, thank you, thank you. Looking at your background, where are you based right now? I'm in Newquay now, and uh, the background is Bedruth and Steps, one of my favourite clifftop walks, oh. or indeed one of my favourite beaches to approach by boat. Ah, <laughs> oh, fantastic! You enjoying Newquay? You, you, you're settling down. Absolutely love it. Oh. Yeah, no, it, it's the first first place in the world I've ever felt at home. And I've lived in five countries and this is my 39th address. <laughs> really? Wow, uh, that's amazing. Before we go on, I, I must congratulate you, um, MBE. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, uh, amazing. Can you just uh, tell us how, a little bit, how, how did that come about? Um, well, the, the MBE is for services to marine conservation. Um, so it's an area I've been working in since um, the late 80s, early 90s. And um, th there's, been a, there's been a lot that's happened over the decades. I think the stalemate time was actually, conservation-wise, was actually the 12 years I did at the BBC. Um, and although it was fantastic and I had amazing experiences and met wonderful people, um, I always felt that the BBC was only telling half the story and that we were portraying the oceans as if they were, you know, pristine and full of life and healthy. And, uh, you know, as you know, that's not what you see when you're on location. And I just felt that if we continued to put that story out there, that people would think that it's OK to carry on treating the oceans, you know, as we have been depleting its resources you know, destroying critical coastal habitats for development and sea views, um, and not to mention the, the the waste, the effluent that goes into it, the, the plastic waste. Um, because if they looked like that and they were still, you know, everything was living happily, then uh, obviously, you know, that the, there are plenty more fish in the sea. And, you know, we know that's not the case. So that's the reason I left. So it's, it's been quite a long journey, actually. And uh, to get that kind of recognition was so heartwarming um especially if my grandfather had the mb as well amazing it's it's, it's such an honor um and once again congratulations i think it's fantastic Thank you. Uh, very well deserved i want to talk to you um about your your new project uh ocean generation um but first of all uh, i just wanted to cover a little bit about plastic oceans um, mm. And for those people that haven't seen it, um, can you just tell us a little bit about it and how it how that came about? Uh, the film is called A Plastic Ocean. Um, it's been on Netflix for five years. And as far as I know, that five years is going to be up in April. So if anybody would like to see it that hasn't, um, that's, that's certainly where you can. There's various other places it pops up. Um, but it was... It was a, a global journey, and for me, it was the steepest learning curve ever. Um, when I left the BBC, I wanted to make an environmental film, but the, there was just no interest in it. it. It's basically people aren't entertained by bad news. And, and I thought, well, perhaps we should try them. Perhaps we should give them that credit. Um, because if people don't understand that there's a problem, how can they ever care about it? And how can they ever act? And I looked at various ocean issues and I chose the plastic one um, for two reasons. One is it's quite an easy concept to grasp once you think about it. We are 
making single-use items out of a product that was designed to defy nature. Plastic doesn't decompose, and that's what other, other products will do. But this one is very clever, and it was designed not to, and it is a brilliant material, but using it for single-use items is utter madness. And when I think of the things I've seen and, and witnessed, the way that plastic is destroying habitats and killing wildlife, um, I, I wanted to bring that to a very wide audience so that people would appreciate, you know, the consequences of this convenient lifestyle we have that is so inconvenient for, for, for the earth and, and the ocean. So um, I, I decided to do that. But the second reason was I had heard that there was a, a giant island of plastic out in the Pacific Ocean and that it was 3,000 miles wide and 10 meters deep. And I thought, well, that would be quite a spectacle to look at. But also there were stories of decommissioned fishing boats planning to go out there to collect it and turn it into fuel. And it just seemed like a sort of a complete story, but almost unbelievable because the only information I could find about it was more or less hearsay. The only photos I saw were clearly people in very small paddle boats surrounded by plastic that to me looked like river mouths. I couldn't believe those little boats would get them to the center of the Pacific Ocean. But the other thing is the, the scientists, the astronauts that we have up in the International Space Station are constantly beaming back beautiful images. And if there was something that big out there, why weren't we seeing it? So I um, managed to get a berth on a, on a scientific expedition that was going out there. And that was the first year of... of uh, going into pre-production for the film. And I went out there to see exactly what was going on. And uh, I learned so much on that journey. And one of the main things I learned is that there is no floating island of trash. You know, this idea of this great Pacific garbage patch is not how it's reported online and in the media. And we were always having somebody on the, on the bowsprit. It was a brigantine and uh, there's always somebody um, out looking uh, to see what we could see plastic-wise. And although we saw occasional bits, um, there was nothing nothing like a floating island. But the one of the things I learned on the journey was how plastic it, it, it changes when it gets into the ocean. Because, you know, if you've got old plastic items, they become brittle. When plastic goes into the ocean as a water bottle or something like that, it's subjected constantly to seawater and wave action and salt water and sunlight, and it starts to get brittle. And it takes about 20 years to get from our shores to the center of the ocean. And during that time, it breaks up and breaks up and breaks up into ever smaller pieces, eventually becoming microplastics. So what our scientists were doing was doing plankton trawls to see if they would find plastic pieces in those. And we put the first net in about 400 miles west of San Francisco. And when we brought it up and emptied it into a sieve, I was horrified to see little pieces of plastic in it because the blue was such a beautiful Pacific blue, you know, as it, you always imagine the Pacific to be, it looked gorgeous. And yet on close inspection, there were these tiny pieces of plastic, but actually that was nothing because the closer we got to the center, the more dense these pieces became until every net was absolutely choked with it. 
And what was more heartbreaking really was that in those trawls, we could see the little um, zoo plankton. So these tiny creatures, you know, often the larval stages of, of bigger animals in the ocean. Um, and a lot of them have little transparent bodies and you could see the plastic inside. So that meant that the plastics entering the food chain right at the heart of it. But it then, I, it was worse than that. And honestly, I was absorbing all this information over the, the 32 days that we were out there. And the other thing I learned was the way plastic attracts chemicals uh, in the ocean. And these are chemicals that are in the water from decades of agricultural and industrial waste that's been dumped there or it's run off from the land. And chemicals like DDT that was banned in the 70s, it hasn't gone anywhere, it's still there. And this plastic attracts it like a magnet from the moment it gets into the water. And the more that one item will break up, the more surfaces are exposed to these chemicals. So those chemicals are starting at the lowest part of the food chain. They will magnify going up the food chain. And whilst you and I might think, well, I don't eat the stomach of a fish, you know, we're okay, unless, of course, you're eating mussels um, and, and things like that. Um, but the one thing these chemicals like better than plastic is fat. So when it's eaten by a fish that has fatty tissues, these chemicals are released and stored in those fatty tissues. And of course that will magnify on the way up. And these are the same chemicals that in laboratory tests have been linked to all kinds of critical disease, including autoimmune disease, um, cancer, infertility, cognitive and behavioral disorders, you know, the list goes on. And so it, it, the film, which initially was going to be about this big spectacle in the ocean and potentially cleaning it up, suddenly became very important as a story about the potential risk to human health. You know, why are we allowing this plastic to get into the ocean if we know that it's going to attract chemicals and come straight back up the food chain towards us? Because we're top predators in the marine food chain and many people around the world rely on fish as their main source of protein that was a very long answer jeff <laughs> no it, it was very... cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> ah, cheers i just have like to it, it's so frustrating because it's such important crucial information and it's information that the news outlets on tv or whatever just don't concentrate very much on we get the big headlines we see photos of seals and whales and and birds with netting around them which is tragic yeah. but it's the big headline that they concentrate on and then it's forgotten yeah but exactly all the things that you've just said pretty well get ignored because there's no big hook to hang it on you know, there's there's no big visual picture for them to put on the uh, on the screens. Do you, do you think? I mean, should TV and news be re-examining what they're well, saying? Well, yeah, no, Jeff, I, I I agree, but I think things have changed a lot actually. Um, yes, I I I you know, as a filmmaker, when I saw that my story of this massive island, you know, this continent of plastic was actually tiny pieces in, in plankton nets. I actually thought, how on earth am I going to make this interesting? Um, because, the, you know, the, the media 
is visual. It tends to be visual and we are visual animals, but how on earth, you know? But of course it, it was an obvious answer. Um, I have a, a very good friend who's a, a whale biologist and I thought, well, obviously blue whales, the most charismatic creatures, the largest creatures ever to live on our planet, feed on plankton. So if we can put that link in, people tend to care more about things like whales than they do about the human food chain, oddly enough. And, and, um, and, and she was doing some work in Sri Lanka. So that became the first sequence. But all the time I was learning and the scientists had been doing, you know, work on this but were kind of frustrated that they couldn't get the information out there. You know, you might get fifth or sixth page on a small column of a newspaper with a the friendly journalist has, you know, picked up the story, but it's not big news. But that's what a film does. You know, you, you, can, you can describe the science using animations. You can show real people that are suffering as a consequence from drowning under plastic. You can show these beautiful animals. I mean, we, we included the footage of a, a baby brooder's whale taking its last breath and then the six square meters of plastic that was clogging up its gut that had killed it you know that kind of thing really brings a film forward and then people want to talk about it but the the there's been many changes in in government um legislation in the way that um the producers and, and, and consumers are behaving. But for me, it's the difference in the school children. You know, when I, I because I, I, I talk in schools all, all around the world and have done for the past 13 years um, on this subject. And, and at the beginning, I was telling them new information and they were soaking it up like sponges. When I go now, they can't wait to tell me what they're doing. You know, they, they, this is their future. They can see it's getting worse. And they will not take it. And they become the most incredible ambassadors. And although I know there's quite a sort of a negative thought around uh, conservation, because we've had since ours, there's been quite a few hard hitting films. I actually focus on the hope side of things because of what I've seen, you know, to get legislation, new legislation through government is not easy. And that's the work I was doing in Hong Kong with marine protection before I joined BBC. You know, it's, it's, it's a long process. But it's happening quite fast and it's happening because people understand it. You know, these pictures have shocked them. And certainly the, the, the catalyst that was Blue Planet 2 for this message, you know, with, with our film, um, Blue Planet 2 originally didn't have plastic in there. And it was to David Attenborough that suggested they watch a plastic ocean. And that was enough for them to put it in. And then, you know, that echoed this, this message even further and so many people want to do it now you know so many people carry their own steel water bottles have their own coffee carts take their own shopping bags you know simple things like that that one person can do but collectively is making a massive massive difference and there's all kinds of technology to address this as well so i i feel much more about hope you know a lot of green groups originally were, were just cleaning beaches and continue to. And that's great. I mean, that's kind of like the goalkeeper stage. You stop plastic that has escaped from getting into the ocean by, by collecting it and disposing of it properly. But our goal has always been to address the production end, to address the mindset. Why do people think it's okay to throw this plastic away or drop it on the street while it will go into a storm drain and out into the ocean? You know, stop them thinking it's okay to use a disposable fork for their lunch and then throw it away or one of those ridiculous lighters for their barbecue or cigarette that you know it runs out and you can't even you can't even refill it 
I've, I've got four of those lighters in a jar that came from the stomachs of baby albatross chicks. So, um, you know, but you, you have to show these things to people to, and, and then they will understand. Yeah, you, you're so, so right. You do have to show because not a lot of people actually get to see the sea in the first place. Um, never, never mind have, have a, a constant view of it. I mean, it was only um, a couple of months ago. Uh, it's the stuff that you don't see that's going on all the time that, that mm. is so tragic. And a couple of months ago, I just uh, couldn't do anything about it. I just watched a seal drowning in, um, in a net. And it was just yeah. fighting to come to the surface and down. And then, of course, as the tide came up, it got more of a struggle. And there was nothing I could do about it. It was winter and um, it was too far out and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought how much this happens throughout the world mm. that, that people don't know about and yeah. which, which makes the programs that you're making uh, and the information you're putting out are so important. And I, and I love the fact that the education thing is working well. That, mm. that, that's crucial. Are, yes. are you still? And I, I will come to Ocean Generation soon, but I see you have an Ocean Academy. Yes. Um, so obviously you're you're taking that into schools and colleges. Yes, we are. Um, that there's the Ocean Academy for um, the Wave One, which is the um, the more uh, what's the word the, the the more formal education. So we've produced a whole load of. Um, resources for teachers to use so that they can bring this subject into the subjects that they have to teach. Um, and those were designed by teachers, for teachers. And uh, it, it, it includes all the information they need so they can just pick it up, read the information and, and run with it. And um, those are being translated into various languages in different countries. And um, yes, we've had fantastic feedback for that. Um, with Ocean Generation, we, we'd got to the stage after um, all these years that we we our initial goal was to put plastic on the map to make people understand it so that it could be addressed and so that, you know, within a generation, plastic wouldn't be escaping into the marine environment. What's happened since the film is the amount of people that have come on board with this and other... Um, other NGOs who are addressing it too. And it's been fantastic to see. So what we're doing is not forgetting about plastic. We still work in that arena, but we're starting to address other ocean issues and bringing the ocean to the classroom. Because you think about it, I mean, Jeff, you and I are probably similar age and, and growing up, we weren't taught about the ocean in the classroom. And you don't need to be living by the sea to understand how important a healthy ocean is because every second breath you take comes courtesy of the ocean and yet at school we're taught that the the forests are the lungs of the planet you know they are providing the oxygen and absorbing the co2 yes they do but it's only about 20 percent you know the ocean's doing more than half of that work so why don't we grow up knowing that because surely if we could view the ocean as a critical life support system for humanity and everything on the planet, no matter if you live in the middle of Kazakhstan or Alice Springs or wherever, you still need the ocean 
so that you can breathe. If we'd grown up knowing that, surely we would have had more respect for the ocean and we would have questioned what we allow to go into it and what we take out of it and how important a healthy ocean, a functioning ocean is. So that's what we want to do is, is bring that into the classroom so that children grow up from the youngest age. We're starting at three, knowing that as much as they know how to add up and read. Fantastic. Yes, of course. My two little uh, grandchildren who are um, oh dear, six and eight. <laughs> um, it's a good job I remembered that. Yeah, I mean, they're... they're uh, their perception of, of, of what the ocean is and what it does now at their age is, ah, oh, it's a thousand times what I ever knew as a kid. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's great to see that this is, this is being brought into, uh, mm. into the education in that way. And I, I see on the Ocean Generation website, there's this lovely statement, uh, we are the first generation to deeply understand ocean issues and the last generation that can stop them. Yeah, it's, it, it's, that's one of the reasons uh, we chose Ocean Generation, actually, because although a lot of our work is fo focused on, on younger people, because 40% of, of people on the planet are age 24 and younger, um, we want to make everybody realise that this is our chance. You know, we, we've still got an awful lot of hope and there's still so much we can do. So whether you are a newborn or you're, you know, a, a, in your hundreds, you're still part of this ocean generation. One, one little conversation from you can have massive impact. If you're talking to people who might talk to somebody else, just this understanding of why it's so important. Um, I, I, I talked earlier about the, the formal education we have. The other thing that we're, ha we're having is um, a wave maker workshops. And this is to encourage people to have green careers or to be able to use their own interests and talents to bring conservation into the work that they do, whether it's you know, whatever it's to do with, wherever they're situated, there's always things that can be done differently within um, businesses, for example. So we want to arm them with that information, but we do it by a workshop that actually enables them to come up with the answers. We don't say, right, this is what you do, these things, and then Bob's your uncle, we've saved the planet. You know, I think it's much more effective when heads have come together and people start to brainstorm and come up with fantastic solutions. And those have been so well received. So we're planning to do an awful lot more of those um, globally. The, the, I mean, the, the, the major player in, in any sort of pollution or environmental degradation or whatever, of course, is us, the, the, yeah. the consumer. You know, I mean, businesses only thrive on our support, basically. So yes. as individuals in day-to-day in -day lives, what are the, even the smallest little things that everybody can do to mm. help, to make things better? Well, the plastic one, I think people are pretty much on board with. It's actually looking at your own plastic footprint and just seeing the things that you can make changes 
you know, yourself, like the three that I mentioned, you know, bringing your own water bottle, understanding that anywhere in the world that has potable water in their taps, really, why on earth are we buying it? You know, what is that purpose? It's, it's, it's a marketing trick and we all fell for it. So it's actually getting a perspective on the plastic that we use. You go out to buy butter, you can either buy it in paper or you, or you can buy it in a, in, a, in a plastic dish that you'll throw away when it runs out. You know, just looking at these little changes. But the, with, with, the, um, with ocean generation, we want to understand, we want people to understand that a healthy ocean is so important for addressing um, the climate problem. So what can we do to address that? One of the things we, we want to do is, is allow people to understand the importance of critical ocean habitats. Mangroves, for example, of, of, you look at any cartoon, Shrek, for example, people see these as swamps and you get this drain the swamp thing and you know clear it all up and put some sparkling building there. And yet mangroves are sequestering about four times more carbon dioxide than the land-based cousins. You know, these, these habitats along the edges of the ocean are vitally important. The salt marshes, the seagrass beds, you know, we need to understand. So educate ourselves so that we understand and then we can make the right decisions. You know, developers shouldn't be clearing these areas, destroying sand dunes so that somebody can have a, a nice expensive sea view. That We have to understand, we have to put the ocean into our hearts again so that we will always consider the future. So it's about educating ourselves, but what can we do to address climate change? You know, it's, it's winter now. Maybe some of, some of us have heating one or two degrees higher than we really need. You know, turn it down. Um, turn it down a couple of degrees. If you're in a hot country, turn your aircon up a couple of degrees. You know, you don't have to go from sweltering heat into a building that you then got to put a cardigan on to keep warm. You know, all of these little things that 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 we can do to address it. Walk when you can. Um, you know, if if you are getting another car, consider at least a hybrid one. I know electric ones are out of many people's price range, but. Um, just, you know, look at what you can do and never, ever underestimate the power of one individual and, 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 and what your contribution could do. Because certainly at, at Ocean Generation, what, what we would rather see is many, many people making a few changes than one or two going completely green, um, you know, completely plastic free and actually making life almost difficult for themselves and not really having that much impact because everyone else is going, well, I don't think I could do that. You know, it's much better that we all do something and all become part of the solution. And, and we will see changes. It's, um, it, it's phenomenal, the, the power of the ocean to recover if, if we just allow it to. And, and that's what we want to do is just put this information out there, bring back hope, because if all we do is bombard people with, bad news you know as humans we'll just bury our heads in the sand and oh yeah somebody else can fix that problem we can fix that problem we can actually all be part of the solution and um i've i've never given up the hope that i have for that yeah no you're absolutely right i, I do remember um i think it was the early 80s fragile earth channel four um, yes 
Um, I didn't see it, but I I, bec- I heard about it because I was living in Hong Kong, so ah, didn't get that sort of program. <laughs> well, well, I hope I've got this right, but I I, I did watch it. And I think it was a series of four programs, maybe five. I'm not sure. Um, but the audience figures for the first program, I mean, it was in the millions. It was, as programs did in those days, you know, mm. the audiences were quite big because there wasn't so many channels to watch. But it was a huge amount of people that watched it. And the revelations that came through were tragic. Mm. And it didn't pull any punches. And I remember this is this has got to be such an important series. And I was so disappointed to see that the following week the audience figures had decreased dramatically Mm. and so it went on and went on and it's as you're saying even though the facts are there people can't handle a lot of bad news and feel helpless and they feel helpless Mm. yeah uh even though that's what we have to change right yeah. That, that, you know, there, there are films, I mean, Seaspiracy, for example, um, yes, it's raised massive awareness of factory shipping and so on. Um, but at the same time, this idea that there's no hope and, and certainly saying that marine parks don't work. I mean, I've, I've personally been part of the establishment of the first marine protected areas in Hong Kong. And I've dived before and since, and I try and go there each time I've been back to Hong Kong. And the change that I've seen you know, I've witnessed it myself. They do work. And some of the work that's been done by the Blue Marine Foundation, certainly the, the Lime Bay story, it's such a positive. And, it, you know, it involves working with the people, not standing there and saying, right, you can't fish here anymore. We're closing this off. It's looking at the best ways to give them a future as well and, 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 and bring them in because the fishermen know the sea better than anybody. You know, working with everyone's talents and experience to, to bring solutions together and, and there is always reason for hope. And I think one of the reasons that conservation films weren't being commi- uh, commissioned was the, the audience figures, because all they were doing was being bombarded by bad news. And you have, to, you have to show people the way forward. And there has to be the good news in there, because if it's all bad, I wouldn't watch it. And, uh, you know, you, you just, it, I, I found that because I was going to do a film about ocean acidification. And as a first one to do on my own, um, I, I mean, it really scares me. <laughs> and, and I wasn't sure, other than solving the climate crisis, how I could actually bring it to bring the whole story together in a film. Um, I, you know, I might bring it into uh, future work. Um, but at the time, to me, it had to be a simple thing that people would understand and know, right, this is what we can do. Um, and and, and the, the film I'm working on now is about hope for the ocean and, um, uh, and, and it's uplifting. And I, I, there's, there's some great uplifting stories to go in there. And I, I think that's going to come up just at the right time. Just got to find the funding for it. And then I'll be able to um, bring that story forward. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I hope the funding comes through for you. Is, is, that, is, is that part of the Ocean Generation project or is that something? Yes, something it that will. It, is. it yeah. will be, yes. I'm, I'm doing it with Ocean Generation. Yeah, cool. Joe, I mean, the reason I started... Oh, oh sorry. sorry. I was um, just going to say, the reason I started um, Plastic Oceans as a, as a charity was to raise funds for the initial film. And, um, and now we've got a new story to tell and uh, new branding, new projects and new focus. So, 
Fantastic. Joe, I, um, I wish you all the luck. Uh, I really do. Well, all of us. I wish us all, all the luck to get this sorted. And it's been fabulous talking to you. Um, you too, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. But just one thing before you go. Um, mm. I get lots of inquiries. I'm sure you get many, 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 many more. It's people who want to start out in not only filmmaking, but making filmmaking about, uh, about conservation and particularly marine mm. conservation. Mm. Any advice you, you can part to them? <laughs> Just don't do it the way I did it. <laughs> I did such a career nosedive going to the BBC. <laughs> um, it seems to me that the ones that come forward are the ones that are doing something different. And if it's conservation that floats your boat, then get involved in um, volunteering because you will get inspiration from people. You will know you're making a difference. You'll meet incredible people. And, and if as a filmmaker, just always have that camera with you, even if it's only your camera phone, because things that can happen, as, as you were saying about the, the um, seal that you saw, you know, that could be very, very powerful imagery. And if the, if the footage is, tells a powerful story, then that's actually much stronger than getting something perfect 8K that's all set up. Because it's about the story, as far as I'm concerned. And, and if you are a storyteller, then never stop talking to people, um, never stop getting as much experience as you can and gather it all together. Because if, if, if I'm looking for people that, that you know, to, to work on this film, um, which, which I, I now have, um, the, 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 the people that I, you know, will be the main team, but it, it's looking at what they've done. Um, it's not looking at a qualification from a university, it's experience that I think people need to get. And that's what will set you apart from the other candidates. And the other thing I would say is if it's your passion, just don't give up on it because you will get there. Perfect advice. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's great. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, once again, lovely to talk to you. And um, yeah. we'll leave it there and I'll say goodbye. All right. Goodbye. Lovely seeing you. Maybe see you in person soon. Ah, uh, you bet. Take care. Bye. Take care.